You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, y'all. Spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic, a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends, folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley, not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, in St. Augustine. So, if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. In a typical Monster Talk episode, we highlight a monster to talk about its plausibility and find scientists and researchers who can help us better understand the details, facts, and nuances of such creatures. We also occasionally talk to people who believe that such monsters are real and try to get their point of view. But this episode's a bit different from anything we've done before. Tonight, we're going to talk to a self-described witch who has written a book on how to use magic to defend against a variety of monsters and monstrous forces. I think it's a fairly interesting conversation and I hope you agree. It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland, it's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Monster Talk. Hello, I'm Blake Smith, the host of Monster Talk. In this episode, we'll be talking with author, lawyer, and self-described witch, Emily Carlin. Ben Radford will be joining me for this interview. A few listeners may have noted that I promised our episode on the Kraken would be this week. That episode ran into some fairly serious technical problems and had to be postponed. But have no fear, we will engage the Kraken... We have some really interesting things lined up for 2012, including more sea monsters, more zombies, shape changers, and even Satan. The upcoming interview is with a person who believes in the power of magic and teaches the use of it for defense against an astonishing array of ghoulies and gremlins and ghosts and goblins and grumpkins. The book she wrote is very interesting and entertaining. I know that our listeners know that we are very skeptical of magical claims. But I also expect that most of our listeners also love monsters and tales of the paranormal, even if they don't find the underlying framework of plausibility to the tales. I'm pleased to say that our conversation was fun and interesting, and while we come from different approaches, I was happy with the dialogue and I hope you will be too. But before we get started, let me remind everyone that while we are an official podcast of Skeptic Magazine, the views and ideas expressed herein are not necessarily the views of Skeptic Magazine or the Skeptic Society. Monster Talk. I think I've mentioned it on Monster Talk before that uh, before I became a, a self-identifying skeptic. How about that? Okay. Someone with a someone who says they're a skeptic with a capital S. Um, right. I for years and years I read about the paranormal. And uh, didn't really experience anything until I finally did experience something um, that seemed like a classic haunting. And when that happened, it went on for quite a while, probably a year, year and a half. And I really didn't know how to deal with it 
Um, I didn't know what to do to stop it. Um, my exciting uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. def- defense mechanisms included sleeping with the light on, uh, getting a dog, and letting him be my protector, which was more than just having a friend. I mean, I really thought about it in the sense of dogs are supposed to be able to see uh, spirits. And so he would oh, he would bark at unseen things. And, you know, to me, that was just confirmation that um, interesting that he was helping guard off the uh, the unknown. Right. Uh, well, I've I've uh, I've always had cats uh, and uh, cats, as you know, will stare at, at anything or nothing that they see in the room. So they they will give you lots and lots of uh, red herrings and false leads on ghosts. I can yeah, for sure. Yeah. The- <laughs> But they're the best friend of a witch. Anyway, so so uh, actually what happened was at one point I, I had a roommate and he was experiencing the haunting with me. I mean, it was, the, you know, real things were happening. Like I say, uh, you know, we talked about the exploding light bulbs and bumps and noises and doors opening and closing by themselves. All the classic things. Right. Uh, uh, everything but a full-blown apparition. Right. Um and at one point, he got so upset uh, that he decided he would do something about it. And um, he went and did a smudging ceremony. So okay. he, he went and uh, he got a smudge stick and uh, he, he walked around the property inside and outside, uh, you know, uh, smoking a smudge stick and doing some sort of cleansing ritual. Now, it didn't actually stop my problem, but it made him feel much better. <laughs> uh, so, you know, for him, he felt much more comfortable after the, uh, the smudging. Oh, I felt much more comfortable after I learned about sleep paralysis and how that works. And then that, it explained a lot of my problems. Uh, but, uh, but no, the smudging ceremony, I thought it was very interesting. It, it wasn't really part of my upbringing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't something I was really familiar with, uh, but his wife was involved in Wicca and, mm-hmm. and she suggested it as a possible cure for the problem. Uh, so it's pertinent to our guest tonight, who's going to be talking about her book on defense against the dark. So, yes, yeah, a field guide to protecting yourself from predatory spirits, energy vampires, and malevolent magic with magic spelled the CK uh, uh, quasi-authentic way, the Alistair Crowley way. Uh, not, exactly. not just yeah. not just Crowley, but certainly he was one of the proponents of that. Yeah, you know, I I, ha- I kind of, uh, to be honest with you, I kind of have mixed feelings about about the sort of stuff. I, I looked over the book, of course, and everything, and and from what I could tell, it's uh, you know, again, it's, it's a field guide to protecting yourself from these spirits. And um, my some of my reservations about this uh, come from having dealt with people uh, who who really sincerely believe that they have ghosts in the house. As as you and our listeners know, I do a fair number of ghost investigations. And um, on, on more than one occasion, I've had people who have really been just, you know, just really, really terrified because of information they've gotten from TV shows, from books, from magazines, whatever else, um, from people who say, look, you know, ghosts exist or these things exist and these are the different types. They'll talk about, you know, residual hauntings. They'll talk about this or that. And, of course, you know, my... My issue is that, you know, let's first let's establish that ghosts exist before we start going to the subcategories of ghosts. You know, let's 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 deal with the 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 assumptions and premises before sort of get go, you know, going too far down the track of, you know, how to how do we, you know, if you're confronted with a poltergeist, what's the best way to address that? Whereas if you're confronted with a residual spirit, you know, what's the best way to address that? And so. So I guess one of my concerns about this um, is that, uh, again, that people are going to sort of take this stuff seriously and say, oh, my God, you know, this is this is just like what I saw on TV. Um, they're sort of haunting themselves. It's really hard when you're dealing with something that doesn't have a physical manifestation. It isn't easily diagnosed through science to treat it through science. I mean, that's not the way most people would approach it, I think. Um, right. If it fits into a common wisdom or folklore background of, of, of a haunting, is science even part of the toolbox that you deal with it uh, with? Right. And, and I think maybe for most people it's not, especially based on what I've seen on television. That doesn't really mean, you know, that doesn't mean it's true. But, you know, I, I think a lot of, uh, you, you use the toolbox you have, and I think a lot of Christians would use mm-hmm. prayer, uh, you know, and um, I, maybe people with a more um, uh, pagan background would use a cleansing ritual. Uh, right. um, it, it just kind of depends on what your cultural background is or how you've educated yourself, the toolbox you've built. So right. uh, it'll be interesting to talk to her. I'm, I'm, I'm really curious to see what she has to say about it. I, can I quickly say this? I was looking at the tool section in the back of the book. 
It said uh, it, it had a section. <laughs> you, you said tool. I did totally say that. But check this out. It says protective herbs, uh, uh-huh. and it says uh, bay leaves, cinnamon, cloves, fennel, garlic, rosemary, sage. What I got out of that is uh, Thanksgiving uh, lunch and dinner are fantastic <laughs> protective tools. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why you're almost never haunted on Thanksgiving Day. That I hadn't thought about that. That's, yeah, uh, yeah. And in in her appendix, uh, I don't. I not not her it, physical appendix. Not not her actual appendix, right, which okay. I have which I haven't touched or examined at all. <laughs> uh, but in in the appendix to the book, um, she has uh, an index of symptoms, which is interesting. And it's about two or three pages worth of everything from an imbalance of nature, um, ill health, feeling watched. Phantom sounds, phantom smells, nightmares, tripping on nothing, uh, objects being moved, uh, just amnesia, unexplained scratches, bad luck, things like that. What's interesting is that uh, apparently, and again, I haven't really discussed it with her yet, but apparently these are sort of, uh, these are, you know, things that are symptoms that you're being attacked by or or manifested uh, by these creatures. And, of course, one of the problems is that many of these are so vague in general that they could apply to anybody. I mean, who hasn't, you know, lost their balance at one point or lost their keys or, you know, had bad luck or whatever else. And so that's one of the one of the problems where, you know, I, I can see someone who really believes that there's a ghost in their house going to this appendix and saying, oh, my God, you know, um, I, you know I, I've been acting out of character. I, uh, I had a bad nightmare the other night and sort of con- convincing themselves that these rather banal uh, ordinary, otherwise ordinary experiences are symptomatic of of, uh, of an attack by a predatory spirit. Well, true enough, and that's the same sort of thing you find on uh, demon defense pages. Is that are you being uh, bothered by demons? Uh, the, the, you get the same sort of general list of malaise that you might have from what an, an average person might consider part of life. Mm-hmm. You know, just regular life events, uh, but they become more sinister when you start to think about it in terms of am I being oppressed by a demon or possessed by a demon. Right. Right. So it'll be interesting to talk to her. I, I, didn't, I did notice one of the quick thing that she's apparently, I'm not making this up, I'm not making a joke out of it, she's apparently the Gray School of Wizardry's Dean of the Dark Arts. I know. Um, yeah, and she's also apparently in a, a law school graduate, so... Yeah, yeah. So an, an interesting blend. It'll be, <laughs> it'll it'll be fun to, to talk to her, and, and uh, hopefully we can uh, we can get through it without any screaming or yelling. <laughs> no, I mean, well, I, I'm I'm hopefully it'll be great. So yeah. it, it's I have to say this, uh, regardless of where we fall uh, from a philosophical perspective, it's an entertaining book. I I really found it entertaining. So uh, I, I did as well. In fact, I mean that's that's one of the things that uh, I would. Uh, uh, I would recommend the book, and of course, it's. It, it's I have to be careful. How I say that I would recommend the book as folklore. Um, and she, and I'm, I mean, this isn't bashing the book. I mean, she she refers to folklore over and over again. So, you know, for people who are interested in you know in knowing the folklore behind fairies and genies and elves and goblins and pixies, uh, that's that's fascinating. I mean, I my only caution would be sort of you know the the transition between folklore and claiming that this is you know actual information that's you know. Reflects the real world. Yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? Because um, as skeptics, do we really believe in demons? So, therefore, what is the proper defense? What is you know? I don't know. Uh, right. for, for me, being educated has turned out to be the best defense. But uh, maybe that doesn't work for everyone. I don't know. Let's let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> That's a debate for another day. There you go. Monster talk. Okay, so uh, Emily, we're calling from Monster Talk, and. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read your description from the uh, the back of your book here, right? Mm-hmm. So you're Emily Carlin, and you've been a magical practitioner for more than a decade. And you're the Gray School of Wizardry's Dean of Dark Arts, specializing in defensive magic and creatures of the night. And you teach magical protection to people of all ages and skill levels, and also have a BA in philosophy from Wellesley College, and a Juris Doctorate from Seattle University School of Law, and are a member of the Washington State Bar. That's me. Super. That's an interesting mix. Awesome. Cool. That a, yeah, that is a surprising <laughs> mix. Quite uh, a potpourri of uh, background angles. Eh, I have a short attention span, so I just do everything. <laughs> there you go. So how, how did you get involved in um, the dark arts or in defense against dark arts? Or well, dark, a defense against the dark. <laughs> I got this a Harry Potter bleed in. I apologize. It's all good. How did I get into the stuff that I do? 
Well, um, I've seen stuff that I couldn't explain and experienced things I couldn't explain since I was a very young child. Um, as I grew up, I learned that people had labels for those experiences that I had. And so I decided I would learn about them so I didn't have to be scared anymore. And then I just kind of kept going. What, what sort of uh, what sort of experiences did you have that, that – that, I mean, was it something that you personally experienced? You're like, oh, my God, you know, you're reading an article or you're reading a book and you're like, this person is, is describing something I, that happened to me? Um, I have definitely had that experience. Um, when I was a kid, you know, our house had ghosts and ghosts would talk to me and I could hear them. And when they figured that out, they would then swarm around me, which was very disconcerting for a 10-year-old. Um, and then I kind of shut it out and got older and then started reading books and go, wait a minute, that happened to me? Oh, oh, that happened to me? Oh, crap. <laughs> no, I see. When you say they swarmed, did you, did you physically see them or you could feel them around you? Um, a little bit of both. Um, when I... I, quote unquote, see ghosts. It's usually a combination of, you know, when you are driving down the highway and it's really hot, and you see that look, the heat vapor. Yeah. It's like a, a shimmer almost. It's like a different density in the air. Mm -hmm. That's how I tend to see that kind of thing with my eyes. And I also feel kind of a presence and a pressure shift. Hmm. Yeah, I, the reason I ask is because I, the, I read your book and, and I wasn't sure. It had a real role-playing game source book feel to it, you know? <laughs> and and I, so I wasn't sure if you were, uh, you know, a hundred percent. If I was serious? Yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> let me, let me just stop dancing. Yeah. Yes. Were you serious? So that's, yes. I, okay. So you're, you're totally serious about it. I, I am quite serious about this stuff. Cool. Well, no, we're uh, a skeptical show. We're not going to mock you or anything. So, but if I'm we, totally cool with that. Groovy. We need skeptics. We need believers, I guess, or we wouldn't have any kind of discussion here, right? <laughs> there you go. And and let me just let me just chime in as as someone who spent far too much of my my teenage years playing D and D and <laughs> memorizing all the monster manual and you know each of the each of the yeah. different characteristics of, of all that stuff. Uh, I, I I thought it was really cool to sort of see at, at least the folkloric aspect in the, in your book. So that yeah. was cool. Well, and, and just as a quick D&D shout out, you got ghouls in there, and that's uh, <laughs> one of my favorite monsters. So, You know, I first played D&D &D like three months ago. I had never played it. Are you serious? Dead serious. So you started wow. with 4th edition, or did, did you start with 4th 4E? I don't know. Okay, well there you go. Well, that, that, well hopefully not. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me let me let me just just throw this in here. I mean, I I'm old school, so like if if you my opinion is that if you're going to get into D and D, get into like first edition advanced D and D. That's like that's the stuff mm -hmm. that you know. I mean, because I, I you know the the kids they like go oh, sixth edition. Like no 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 no. This is you, you got to go back to you know the D twenties and the you know the when I, when I was your age we used to. Yeah, never mind. How how did you come to uh, to write a book about defending against the dark? Well, um, circumstances conspired to make it happen. Basically, um, two things kind of came together. One, you know, I had all these experiences when I was younger, and then when I got to college and things exploded. Um, and there were no books out there that gave me the information I wished I had had. Which is, you know, the, I'm in a panic, what do I do right now so that I don't have to panic? Mm -hmm. There were lots of things with wonderful stories that were great stories, but not particularly useful. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I, I had always wished something like that existed. And then, um, you know, I joined the Gray School and became a, a professor. And I started writing all these classes about these creatures. And I looked up one day and I'm like, I got 100, you know, creatures and 40,000 words. Hey, mm -hmm. in three weeks, I can turn this into a book. <laughs> and so, so I kind of did. <laughs> so so uh, my understanding is sort of a, you were looking for a practical sort of aspect to it instead of just stories. You're wanting something that was concrete that people could actually use. Is that right? Basically, my my whole idea with this book is Stuff happens, people don't understand what's going on. And if there's something, like, what my goal was to make a book where someone who was in a panic because they had things happening they didn't understand could look at this book, 
read through descriptions, find whatever was closest to what they were experiencing, and then have two or three concrete things they could do to make those weird things stop if they needed them to. Mm-hmm. That so, was my goal. Okay, so now, because you, you talked about, you know, sort of you, you're writing this stuff and writing this stuff, and you're suddenly like, oh my god, I've, I've you know, I've almost got a book here. Mm-hmm. Where, um, I mean, it's a pretty amazing collection of information. How did you assemble it? Was this, did, did you, was it mostly on books and folklore? Or did you interview people who personally defended themselves against evil entities like ghosts and goblins and pixies, or what, where, where did you get the information that's in the book? <laughs> All of the above. Um, I've been researching this stuff since, God, 99 earlier. Um, and I have a, a really nerdy library. So I have lots and lots and lots of books and folklore. And I also have um, a lot of personal experience. I know a lot of people that have personal experience. And so it's a combination of the two that really went into this. I'd love to be a fly on the wall where you're like, yeah, hey, Dave, um, I heard that you defended yourself against a goblin the other day. Can you tell me about that? I mean, I'm, is, is that kind of how it went? Or I mean, how, how does yeah. it? Yeah. Okay. Um, and, okay, you have to understand, I teach at an online school of magic. That's what I was going to ask. What, what is the Gray School? We wizardry? have a club yeah. that is all about defending yourself and i can say hey anyone have any stories they want to share and i get 50 responses going hey this thing happened and this thing happened this thing happened um the gray school is a online magical school and we teach pretty much everything it's non-religious um it's multinational ages eight through a hundred i think my oldest student is 74 um we teach everything from, you know, herbalism to tarot reading to defensive magic to, you know, Aleister Crowley kind of ceremonial magic. We teach everything. And, yes, we do take it seriously. Gotcha. So so what kind of dangers uh, await the unprepared or people who don't have some kind of protection? What, what's, in other words, what's the kind of the worst case scenario from a, a paranormal attack that you've run into? Uh, worst case scenario that I can verify actually happened. Woman had a uh, infernal in her house. It pushed her down the stairs. She broke both legs. Ow. And and basically a banishing was done and this stopped. So she she make sure I understand. So she she was at the top of the stairs and 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 some entity pushed her. Yes. Jeez. Yeah, it does happen. It is obscenely rare. Like, I think it probably happens once every 30 years on the planet. <laughs> how would, uh, just put, putting on my, my skeptical hat here, how, how would one distinguish that from just sort of tripping on stairs as, as happens? Sure. Oh, totally. Um, there's a couple different ways, and I'm not sure any of them would really satisfy a hardcore skeptic. Well, I'll throw something out. We'll see what sticks. But I'll, I'll, I'll put forth, and you may take as you will. Um, first for me, it was the fact that I knew the people that were telling me about this and I know that they're not really credulous people. Mm -hmm. Um, they are people who have very long kind of standing history with me of being quite on the ball. Mm -hmm. So I trusted that what, when they said I felt two hands that pushed me. And, you know, there, there isn't a history of inner ear problems. The stairs are level. There was no heat fluctuations. There were other witnesses present that watched her lurch from the wrong part of her body for tripping Ooh, kind nice. of things. Um, I am just as skeptical as most skeptics because I get a lot of crazy people saying, oh, my house is haunted. Come and save me. <laughs> um, you have bad wiring. Call an electrician. Uh-huh. So... Yes, I do believe all this stuff happened. Do I believe it happens anywhere near as often as people think it does? No. <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, you've got a lot of very specific guidance for how to handle different kinds of attacks. And, you know, mm-hmm. being uh, interested in monsters I, I mean, and RPG background, reading monster books, watching monster mm-hmm. movies, you, it, the, every monster movie sort of follows that formula. Oh, there's a monster. 
what do we do to fight it? We build, you know, what works, what doesn't. And we'll then, find the Necronomicon, right? right well, or uh-huh. whatever, you know. You know they the, cloud to Nectar three yeah, times. Right. There you I go. said the words. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so the, uh, you know, so have any of these things been field tested, I guess is the question. Yes. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so I, I have been practicing magic for a, a while now. And there's kind of a bell curve of magical asininity hmm. where, where you're first starting, you're not doing anything, so you're not attracting anything to you. And as you learn just enough, you start to attract things to you, but you're not actually learned enough to not be completely vulnerable and unprotected. And then you learn more and then you can do things without being incredibly vulnerable and unprotected. When I was at the top of that bell curve, I was with a group of about 10 other people that were at that same point in that bell curve. Bad things happened. Hmm. It's all a matter of energy. And you can just look at quantum physics. You've got waves and particles. Thoughts equal waves of energy moving through your brain. You know, in some theories, those waves then emanate out from your body and can interact with other waves of, and particles when they come out of you. Mm-hmm. And when they all come together in one big heap, all doing the same thing, they entrain and get the same resonance. And then insane things happen. I went to a women's college. It was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. So, well, let, let me let me just follow up on that. I mean, like for example, I, I just recently finished reading a, a very good book actually on genies and gin, and mm-hmm. I know and I noticed that. Uh, in, of course, you, you cover some of that as well. But uh, for example, it's said in folklore that both fairies and genies are repelled by iron, mm-hmm. um, and salt and other things as well. But but I guess one thing that I always sort of come back to is that how do we know that's true? I mean, I'm not I'm not saying it's not true. I'm not. I'm just saying how. Other than, you know, somebody said, how yeah. do we know that genies are afraid of iron? How do we know that fairies, I mean, so how, how do you address that? Well, that is not one of the things that I have personal experience in. Um, so the way I look at it, it would make sense to me if a nature spirit was repelled by man-made technology. That okay. in my brain works. For gin. I I don't see a real logical reason why gin would be repelled by iron because I mean in traditional lore they're you know Allah made them from like smokeless fire. Right. Um so I don't quite know how that and iron would not work together. Uh, right you you would think that iron being a you know what, what could be more earthly than iron? <laughs> it's it's yeah, a mineral yeah. all over the place. Uh, so I don't understand why that would be selected or why anybody yeah. would have thought that 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 would be anathema to either gin or fairies or anything else. Well, you know, iron, iron and steel have, have been traditional uh, tools of protection against uh, the supernatural for a long mm-hmm. time. Well, so. it's usually not lumps of iron ore. It's some kind of wrought metal. Yeah. You've got, you know, the horseshoe, you've got n- iron nails, and the wrought metal has been worked upon by man in such a way. I could see how those connotations were created. Well, it probably means that uh, cars being made of iron are protect- protection from gin, though, right? <laughs> that would be a very heavy car. What, what, what is, <laughs> I'm thinking like, some kind of like World War One tank. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. The, my, and, uh, my neighbor has one. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Bastard. Cars are subject to gremlins, right? <laughs> they are subject to gremlins. Are gremlins subject to gremlins? Because that would explain a lot. They kind of. <laughs> I would think so. I would think they're kind of tempting fate by calling them gremlins. There's it's, a certain twisted logic people. to that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I just um, let me just warn you. Blake has 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 a this annoying tendency to throw out some puns. Um, I've tried to cure him of it in the year and a half <laughs> that we've been doing this podcast, and apparently it's failed miserably. So if, if there's any bad puns that come out, just just be aware that that's what that is. Oh, it's all good. I can ignore them with the best. <laughs> well, a friend of mine actually called me earlier today and was having internet problems while I was reading your book, preparing for this. And uh, I suggested that we try a cleansing ritual. Uh, <laughs> but uh, apparently there was an evil spell that someone had Comcast on him. Oh, oh no. no. Oh. It does happen. Oh, Comcast was, is the devil. Was it Og- they are my ISP, but they are also the devil. Oh, was it, seriously, was it, I think it was Ogma that you were recommending. Uh, yes, actually. 
in folklore, he's kind of the patron saint of technology. Yeah, that's interesting. Why? I don't really know. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. There's technology and folklore. I mean, technology is pretty new compared to folklore. Yes. So, uh, and yes, then, uh, I saw that there was like a demon protection uh, that you had in here that involved Kali, and mm-hmm. that, I found that a little disturbing because <laughs> Kali is. I don't know if I want his protection or her well, protection. So. Notice that that particular ritual was in the space saying don't ever use this unless you think you're going to die yeah yeah that's the there's a reason it was under that section (laughs) tuck it around way in the back don't use this unless you have no choice right i meant it (laughs) hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply that was like, you know, in case of fire, break glass. In case or, of emergency, break glass. Yes. You, you hide it way in the back. Uh, all right. <laughs> let me. All right. Let me. Let me go back to the folklore myths here because uh, I've researched quite a bit of folklore. In fact, uh, later this year, I'm actually presenting at the American Folklore Society uh, conference in Indianapolis and in, in uh, Bloomington on on actually on the folklore of the Chupacabra. I heard that from a friend of a friend. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good one. So, so again, sort of just from a folkloric point of view, I, I enjoyed the book. But one of the, of course, one of the problems is that, is that you know, folklore and myths aren't always true. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of things that people believe, like not swimming for thirty minutes after eating, or you know, if you if you go in front of a mirror and say Bloody Mary three times, you know, her ghost yeah. will pop out. Or if if a, a, you know, a girl won't get pregnant if she jumps backward three times after sex. There's all sorts of things that you know, we believe in folklore, but not that we believe that folklore says is true, but is completely untrue. So how, how do you tease out, you know, give, given that so much of this was drawn from folklore, how do, you, how do you assure not only your readers but yourself that you're not just simply passing along bad information that came from another book? Well, the way I, I looked at it in a couple ways. First, in terms of the, the folklore stuff, you know, like I said, folklore is folklore which is why it's under the lore section and not necessarily in the back of the book with all the actual tools. Mm-hmm. Um, do I think scattering you know, grains of rice in front of a vampire will make them stop and compulsively pick them up one by one so you can have time to run away? I'm thinking no. Okay. Well, now, to be fair... Did that I put f- it in there? Yes. Yeah, well, <laughs> but that falls in the folklore of both Eastern and Western culture vampires. True. So. It's OCD for vampires does seem to be consistent. It seems so. to be quite consistent. <laughs> okay, you know, I'm the for, skeptic, right? But I'm telling you, it shows up in the folklore over and over and over it again. It does. So if you really it think does. you're facing a vampire, I, if you really, <laughs> really think you are, if everything says it's a vampire, I, I got to say I'm going to throw some rice. If you've got <laughs> some rice handy, go for it. Why not? Well, look, let, let me – I just have – sweep. I have to interject here because because I've researched monsters quite a bit and and Bigfoot and Chupacabra and Lake Monsters and that. And I, my position has always been this, that if I'm ever confronted by a Bigfoot or a Chupacabra or a Lake mm-hmm. Monster or, or, or the undead, um, I want to experience that. I, I don't want to run from it. I don't want to confuse the vampire, make him count a bunch of grains of rice. Uh, I, I want to, you know, if I'm out there count, if, if I'm out there in the in, in the wilderness and I, I hear something that might be Bigfoot outside my tent, I'm going to go look. And if, if the if the end result is that I'm the first person to have been proven to be killed by a Bigfoot, all the better. <laughs> so so that's that's my position on this is that instead of and I guess this kind of in a weird way sort of contradicts the premise of your book. But, um, you know, I I don't want to say that I wouldn't want to protect myself these, from these things. But just as as an inquisitive human being, 
Mm-hmm. I would I would almost kind of rather be attacked and just sort of ha- I mean I would I would find it fa- yeah I would find it fascinating seriously I'm I'm not joking I would I would no, find I- it fascinating to be yeah. attacked by a vampire especially a, a, a succubus I want to say um, yeah but <laughs> yeah but Ben yeah but if you throw that rice you're not killing the vampire you're doing science man you're doing science <laughs> it's true you're it's testing true. a theory and if the vampire goes and counts that rice. And if How you good? do it again, you reproduce the results. Mm. That's true. Look at that. I, I have to say, uh, that's. I would feel pretty good about that test. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> and, and, and worst case, and I'm a skeptic. I'm just saying, worst case scenario, it, it's not a vampire, and they're like, "Why did you throw ice at me, dude?" And you're like, "Oh, I thought we were at a wedding." <laughs> <laughs> well, you got it with bird seed then. Though. Right, right. Yeah, the folklore. Right. <laughs> Yeah, it's okay. a full pod, dude. Sorry. Look at this. So, so under vampires, you, you talk about psychic vampires, mm-hmm. um, sanguinarian vampires, mm-hmm. and lifestylers. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, you're really okay. So quickly for people who haven't read the book, psychic vampires uh, drain you psychically. They drain mm-hmm. your psychic energy. Sanguinarians are people who real real people who drink your blood voluntarily. Like they want mm-hmm. to drink your blood, they get your permission. And lifestylers are people who want to look like vampires and call themselves vampires, but don't really—they're like gamers, right? Posers. Okay, so but yeah. you you dismiss them as being goth-inspired and not dangerous. But what if they get you in a corner and keep wanting to tell you about their favorite character? You don't have any defense for that. Yeah, but that's not the dark arts. That's, yeah, that's... just annoying people. <laughs> That is not my area of expertise. There's gotcha. nothing, Blake, there's nothing we can do about that. She, she's she's protecting us from vampires. Okay, so this book is useless at conventions some, is all I'm saying. If it's some, <laughs> if it's some goth asshole, that's your that's your own problem. Notice right. how I say, if a, you know, if a sanguinarian vampire comes after you with a knife, run away, call the cops. You do Just say like that. You would with you do. anyone else running after you with a knife. Right, right, yeah. You, you, to, you <laughs> absolutely run away, scream, call the cops. You do say that. If a large predator is coming after you, you want a gun, not magic pixie dust. Yeah. It's just common sense. It is. You know, the the magical stuff is for the stuff that you can't see that isn't going to, you know, rip your throat out. Well, you do it, say if they won't stop talking to you, use common sense and run away, get help, or call the police if necessary. So there, there is that. Yeah. Well, but, but hold on. I'm an attorney. I have to say stuff like that. <laughs> Call the cops. <laughs> well, right. But I mean, all right. Well, all right. Let's say you do this. Okay. You believe you just encountered uh, one of the various types of vampires. Mm-hmm. And and you go to your local police station. You, you call 911. You say, hi, um, I, I'm, I believe that I have just been attacked or, or uh, tried to have been molested by uh, a, a particular sub, subtype of vampire. Mm-hmm. What do you think the reaction is going to be? Well, I wouldn't put it that way. I would say this dude came after me and tried to bite me. I think he's crazy. Can you have him committed? He's dangerous. You can say that to a cop. But but, but, but hold on here. But but isn't there an ethical issue here? Because if that, in fact, is a vampire, uh, the the cop that you send after may be Ah, killed and dismembered. Ah, but if you read the descriptions fully. No, 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 no. If you read this, modern vampires, sanguinarian psychic vampires and lifestylers are just people. They are just right, people. but 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 yes, but what if what if what if you've mistaken it and actually is like if it's some if it's like a, some ancient classic vampire ex- like Nosferatu? Exactly. Exactly. Um, you know what? I'm I'm, I'm gonna come, I'm gonna come to Emily's defense here. That that's their job to protect and serve. <laughs> oh man, you know that is cold, dude. That they is knew cold. the risks. They knew the risks. <laughs> They, yeah, they knew the risk. That's what they get. You know, they get their blood sucked out. They get raped by a golem, and then you're like, "Oh, they knew the risk. They knew hey, when now, they signed up." You can't be raped by a golem. Really? That'd be a really impressive golem. <laughs> well, I've seen I've seen the big one, and never mind. Go, Blake, you have a question? <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> okay, so so the the book's divided in, basically into two parts, and in the first mm-hmm. half, you're kind of describing. All kinds of dark, malevolent creatures, and in the second half, you go into a lot more detail about how to do the defensive part. So, yeah. now I looked at your spells, and the majority of them start with words like envision or imagine, and, and thinking about these sort of ideas. But I, I didn't see as much of the eye of newt, feather of eagle kind of. Uh, yeah, sp- oddly or, enough, that's a myth. I was going to say, in RPG terms, there were lots of verbal components, but not many reagents required for these spells. No. Basically, tools like that and ingredients like that are generally props and 
they're all well and good and they can make things more powerful, but you don't need them. And my point with this book was the stuff that, you know, Joe Schmo is freaked out in his house because he's making freaky sounds, picks up this book, can do everything in it with what he's already got in his house. The idea that you have to go and get some crazy arcane ingredient that was gathered by virgins in the dark of the moon when it was void, of course, that's ridiculous. This is interesting because it, it, it posed an interesting uh, intellectual question, all right, mm-hmm. and which is this. If the majority of your magic involves envisioning or imagining protections mm-hmm. for yourself, mm-hmm. but you're, you're a serious skeptic, mm-hmm. when they are encountering these same sort of things, they think to themselves, what is that? That is, that's not a ghost. That is the sound of my house creaking. Uh-huh. That's almost the same thing in a sense in that you're visualizing mentally what it is. It's called it tur- a null shield. You're, yeah, well, yeah, you're nullifying the danger by giving it a rational explanation. Absolutely. So that's yeah. interesting. I don't really have anything to go with. There's no question. <laughs> that. Just an interesting parallel in that. Oh, it's absolutely yeah. true. It's, it's, like my a, husband. The psychological. Is the biggest, right. So, yeah. The biggest skeptic in the world. And he, it's almost like he eats. How big is he? Because I weigh 300 pounds. No, no. <laughs> he's right around there. Uh, he's a big guy. Um, but like he is almost like magic comes near him and then just dies under the weight of his power of disbelief. So it's, yeah. Well, all right. I'll, let me, let me pick up on that because I've written uh, and researched a fair amount on ghost and I was actually pleasantly surprised to see a somewhat skeptical bit of uh, chapter five there where you talk about the undead. Mm-hmm. Um, and you give some good advice on not, not jumping jumping to conclusions about what someone's experiencing is necessarily a ghost or evil entity. But that raises the question, well, um, in fact, I got it right here. You're talking about one of the first things you should do is, is you know, look at, uh, you have several different criteria here. There's misidentification of natural phenomena, hoaxes, hallucinations, psychosomatic constructs, um, energetic memories, time slips, uh, deceased humans, uh, and other metaphysical beings. Um, from my experience in doing some of these investigations, typically, uh, I think this is actually a pretty good list, but typically uh, what I find is that uh, the vast majority, if not all, the the, um, the phenomena fit under your first category, which is mis- misidentification of natural phenomena. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and the examples you give, you know, just because you're hearing a creaking in your house doesn't mean it's a ghost. Just because you're you, just because you misplace your keys doesn't mean that, you know, poltergeist is playing with you. But th- that then raises the question, well, how do you know? Um, I mean, it, yeah. g- g- given that so many of these, these, in fact, this also, you know, in Europe, you have an appendix here that talks about some of the different symptoms. So mm-hmm. given that so many of the symptoms are uh, sort of banal, ordinary, you know, feeling watched or feeling nauseous. Many or symptoms can else. be written off. Mm-hmm. If, you, if, you, if you want to say, okay, there's no way this you know, XYZ explanation is completely impossible. So I know that's not an option. Therefore, this must be misidentification. Any skeptic can take that view. And there's nothing anyone can say that will change that. If you think that it is impossible, that it is a metaphysical explanation, then you are never going to go that route. If you're someone like me, when I go into a location that someone has said is haunted, um, you know, I people know that I'm good at this stuff, so I get all kinds of weird phone calls. Um, if I walk into a location, I can generally tell within minutes if there's actually something going on because to me it feels different. But mm-hmm. I've experienced this stuff continually my entire life and have been able to kind of hone what that feeling feels like. And if you haven't ever felt it before, you have no frame of reference. So, right. But but for example, I mean, I and j- just just to clarify, I mean, I I would never assume that there is not a ghost in a in a haunted location or a mm-hmm. reputedly haunted location. I I'm just trying to figure out what's going on. And if the answer is there's a ghost, then that's great. I, mm-hmm. that, I, I don't, you know, I, it doesn't bother me either way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess the, the I, I guess what I'm trying to get is you know, where is the line between saying mm-hmm. I have I, looked at enough um, mundane phenomena and I can't explain it, therefore it must be 
X. Where, where do you draw that line? Because oftentimes people people just you know they'll give up right away. Like, well, I don't know, it must be a ghost. Well, mm-hmm. no, just because you don't know what it is does not mean it's a ghost. It's, that's a fallacy. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can really draw any kind of hard and fast line universally because it's so dependent on the situation. You know, if one person tells me I think my house is haunted because of X, Y, Z, and another person tells me I think my house is haunted using the same X, Y, Z, depending on the people, I may or may not believe them. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, there's that too, and then there's also the the like I see a lot of uh, paranormal investigations mm-hmm. where there where the angle is. They're going to try to help, and mm-hmm. they go in and they try to guide, do imagery to guide a ghost home. You know, guide a ghost to the mm-hmm. light, and then somebody else might come to the same site and say, "No, no, no, it's not a ghost; it's a demon. You need to do a cleansing ritual uh-huh. and a prayer." Uh-huh. And it's like, "Well, okay, well, what's really going on?" And the skeptic comes in and says, "Okay, well, what exactly? You know, the lights are flickering. You know, I, or whatever." We yeah. try to look at each yeah. individual aspect of it, but. But uh, it is a, it's a it's a tricky problem for everybody who's interested in the paranormal mm-hmm. of of how do you draw lines and clearly delineate what the appropriate response is. Yeah, it's it's kind of like, <laughs> I look at it kind of like the 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 psychiatric diagnostics where it's like if you have five of the fifteen symptoms, you should see a healthcare professional kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Or if it's if it's you know. Things are moving out of the corner of your eye. You're seeing sparklies, and you have high tension power lines running over your house. That's one scenario. If you watched a book rise up and float across the room, or your child is saying that they're talking to a little boy in the corner, that's different. For me, you know, I'm kind of paranoid, and I like to err on the side of being overcautious. So if something looks like it's possibly, you know, one, two, or three, I will do whatever is necessary to get rid of the strongest one of those things, because whatever will get rid of the stronger one will get rid of the weaker ones. So you try the shotgun approach, or I I tend to go with the nuke and pave. Yeah, often. I gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, <laughs> most of the time, I err on the side of overkill. I've gotten a lot better in the last few years than I was when I was younger and terrified of everything. Wait, so, um, so how does it is living with a skeptic problematic, or do y'all just leave that part of things out? Or um, <laughs> We've been together for a really long time, so he's kind of used to it. Gotcha. <laughs> he tries not to make fun of me too much, well, and yeah, I yeah. try not to poison his food. Well, they... So it works. <laughs> that sounds fair. Yes. You know, you, you, I think you've, come to, you've come to a good a good uh, arrangement there, especially considering that you're a member of the bar. Well, you know, I was going to say the. the in, in... <laughs> In in uh you know in, in uh, it's monster talk not marriage talk but I, I I tell my wife like you know we live together you know sniping at each other is not a good idea because the targets are always here you know well yeah I'm also a trained mediator so I'm pretty good at liaising things well because when I've talked to uh to you know ghost hunters typically people who are somewhat less skeptical than I am and uh, I run into psychic mediums who are else and they 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 believe they're communicating with ghosts and i mm-hmm. i can't i of course can't prove or disprove that because they're saying mm-hmm. i'm sensing something and it's telling me something well i okay yes, we call that unverified personal gnosis <laughs> exactly exactly but the i i had an interesting discussion with uh with uh, one investigator up in ontario a while back and um and i suggested to him that there needed to be more uh scientific methodologies introduced into ghost hunting mm-hmm. and one of the ways that i i thought we might do this would be to uh have people who claim to be able to communicate with ghosts and and meetings mm-hmm. and whatnot um have them do uh, set up some double blind tests and have them go to different locations some of which are reputed to contain ghosts and some of which are not mm-hmm. um and and just have you know have a set of i don't know eight ten uh, twelve different mediums whatever mm-hmm. would be statistically significant um and just go in there and say you know are you picking up anything here and if one of them says yes oh my god there was a six-year-old girl that was murdered here 20 years ago and her spirit is haunting the hallway another person says nothing at all another person says uh you know i'm only getting an old man who uh who died you know in a car accident i mean you what 
that's one way to go about it. I don't know that anyone's really done that, and I'm not sure why that is. Do you, do you think that would be a viable uh, uh, effort? Um, you know, okay, now here I have a personal prejudice against mediums. I don't think getting a group of mediums to go through a house would tell you anything about the house. It would tell you a lot about the mediums. I would agree. Um, and I also believe that different people have access to different energy frequencies. So one person might only get stuff from the faint past. Some people might get stuff from the present. Some people might be getting weird shit from the future. I don't know. Well, but, oh, no, fair, fair enough. But but if they're getting if they're getting verifiable information, I mean, either either yeah. there was a six year old that, that died in that house, or there was not. And if there was not, yeah, then, then that psychic information is wrong. The medium. Well, yeah, and that and that would be the whole point. Would be yeah. I mean, you're exactly right. It's not going to tell you anything about the house. But if 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 the question is, can can disparate mediums come up with the same verifiable mm-hmm. information? Uh, I mean, so far in my research, the answer is almost certainly no. But although I'm no. open, I'm, I'm open minded to it. I mean, if, if they can do it, then let's test it. But that's I, I think I think you're exactly right. They wouldn't tell you anything about the house. It would definitely tell you whether any of these people are coming up with with legitimate verifiable information at a, at a rate higher than you would expect. Yeah. Well, the other thing with mediums is the, the other reason I'm not a huge fan of mediums is that I don't necessarily think all mediums are picking up on what's there. I think some of them are calling things that might show hmm. up while they're there and then go away again. I have no way of proving this. Sort of it's like, a personal sort of like... pet theory, but because okay. I don't, I have never met a medium that impressed me. It's like BYOG. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if I went into a house, could I summon forth a ghost? Yeah. Yeah, I could. Would I? No. It's completely unethical and stupid. But but but, but I guess the question is could you could you summon a ghost that that would uh, make its presence uh, known to skeptics? Probably not. And but why why would that be? Would that be because the ghost would refuse, or what? Why why would well, that be? Okay, one, if I was a person and I got summoned someplace I didn't want to go, I would not perform like a trained bear. Um, so there's that aspect. Um, and you know, when I experience a ghost, it is the most incredibly faint, back of your brain, shadowy weirdness that I can possibly express. It is not a concrete thing. I have had experiences where I looked in a corner, saw something, and had two people next to me immediately turn and look at it, and each one describe half of what I just saw. I have had that experience, and it freaked me out. <laughs> hmm. uh, so, yes, there are some ghosts that can come solid enough to make themselves known. Is it repeatable in any kind of scientifically proven way? Certainly not in my experience. And I completely accept the fact that most of what things that I believe are things that I could never prove to anybody else, and I'm okay with that. Well, it, what, I was going to say, does that pose a problem to you coming from a legal background? If you had to like prove these things in court, you know, do you think of things that if you don't think of it in terms of skeptic believer type, do you think of it in terms of legal burden of proof kind of ways? You know, I. I have a whole thing about you can't do banishings unless you have standing in a court of law kind of thing. Um, (laughs) The legal brain does come in on occasion. Um, For this kind of thing, it's really more that I'm very scientific. I mean, I did a lot of computer programming. I've always been a big geek. Um, Mythbusters is my favorite TV show kind of thing. Um, Where the fact that there is no independently verifiable, repeatable way of testing this stuff that I've ever seen used reliably means that we don't have the technology to do it yet. Because I know in my experience that certain things exist. Can I prove it? No. Do I think someday we may have the ability technologically to verify things? Sure. But I could say the same thing about the Lockless Monster and UFOs and, you know, Paris Hilton's soul. So... Yeah, but 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 well, well no, but yeah, there. But I mean, I don't know about Paris Hilton, but there's another there's another element here, which is that is that you know, as you know, there are already people who claim, and I've met many of them, and I'm sure you have as well. There are already ghost hunters and ghost investigators who claim that they are the 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 equipment they're using, whether it's cameras, infrared, mm-hmm. uh, take your pick, that that they are already. Uh, detecting yeah. ghosts, and they are detecting spirits. So, see, you can't really have it both ways. On one hand, saying, "Well, the reason we don't have good evidence for these things is that we we haven't evolved the technology yet," but 
on the other hand, we have all these people who are who are pointing to orbs and and you know, cold spots and this and that and saying or EMF variations and saying that this is a ghost. So well, actually, you, it, it, I was going to say, as Emily made a position, has she stated a position on the use of equipment? I mean, what no, do you, where do you, not. I didn't hear you. What, what well, no, your, no, I, yeah. no, I was, I wasn't asking her to defend it. I'm just, I'm just yeah. pointing out that, that we have this, you know, on the, yeah. they, they, they kind of want to have it both ways. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. I have never used ghost hunting equipment. So I, I don't have a, a real hands-on kind of opinion on it. I would have to see more than what I have seen on television to really have a lot of faith in it. You know, if you see an object moving and there's nobody there, you've captured something. Mm-hmm. Is that necessarily a ghost? Not necessarily. But you've well, captured prob- something. Probably, depending on what it is. Sure. Yeah, it, it, it all depends, you know. And with the kinds of, you know, post-production editing techniques that are available today, unless I was there and could see the entire post-production process, I don't know that I would believe it even if I was seeing it, mm-hmm. you know, that's the problem with man-made tools is we are interpreting the data and you can't have a double blind with a ghost hunter. You know, when you watch like some of these shows, some of them are relatively rigorous about, you know, saying, Oh, look, that fluorescent light bulb is giving off an EMF field of 50 or whatever. And other ones are going, Oh my God, there was a noise. It must be a demon. So I've, I have yet to meet people that use them that I've known enough to have respect for to say yes or no. Is mm-hmm. it possible? Sure. I don't know. Well, let me ask you this. The, uh, of all the, uh, of the creatures that you talk about, the, the spirits and the vampires and, and all these different things, uh, including ghosts, is it your opinion that they want themselves to be known or they don't want themselves to be known? I think it depends on what works best to their advantage. Some of them really like scaring people. And so if they can just be just enough that you know something's wrong, but you don't know what, that might be better for them than for them for you to know exactly what's going on. Certain other ones might be, you know, a ghost with unfinished visions that needs you to, you know, dig a box out of the wall. They want you to know that they're there and to do what they need you to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it really, really depends. And well, be, because it seems to me that that you know, if if a if you know uh, if collectively the spirits or these entities or even one particular one one particular ghost really, really wanted to prove its 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 existence and wanted to, I mean, th- mm-hmm. there are ways that this could be done. I mean, I, I I've yeah. just, there's just so much, particularly when you're talking about ghosts, there's so much mm-hmm. very nominal, ambiguous stuff and that mm-hmm. and that you know if i mean i was doing a ghost hunt one time and i was talking to a guy there and he's like well what, you know what would convince you that there there's ghosts here and i said well there's a grandfather clock over there if that you know did some tumbling in the air right in front of me and there's no one near it um i would say that's pretty good evidence um and so i don't think it's that skeptics yeah. should, so so i guess part, part of my question is is that you know it, it just seems curious that that all the ghosts so far uh at least the ones that i'm aware of they they the, the, they just give little tidbits, little hints. They don't. They don't. They, they either don't exist, or they they don't, or they they're they're teasing for some unknown reason. Because if it seems to me, if they really wanted to clearly make themselves known, same thing with mm-hmm. Bigfoot or UFOs or extraterrestrials. Mm-hmm. If, if they if they're like, I want humanity to know that we exist, then they could have done that by now. I think that's probably true. Um, for ghosts, you know. I don't know that they necessarily have the amount of energy necessary to do that kind of thing. You know, on cue, is it, has some ghost throughout history had that ability? Sure, probably. I would imagine. You know, are some of these creatures capable of doing that? Yeah. Is it in their, you know, best interest to do so? Not necessarily. Well, yeah, but at that point you're reading the mind of a ghost, right? Yeah. 
Well, well, uh, we, 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 but we did the, exactly what you're asking me to do, though. I was going to say, Jabin, you're kind of saying that, though. I mean, you're we're we're kind of ascribing uh, human intent on something that we can't even prove. Exists. Well, yeah, yeah, but that happens all the time, where someone says, "Well, the, the reason you know the reason this this ghost appeared to me was." I mean, people ascribe reason, human reasons to ghosts all the time. That well, sure they the, do. Warnings. Well, it's ghosts it's, it's are supposed to be dead people, therefore they are human and think humanly. Right. You can't yeah, describe right. the same kind of motivations to you know a jinn or a Lianan she that you would to a ghost. Well, but, not, but there's also never were. But there's also non-human ghosts. There's I mean, a there's lot go- of non-human metaphysical I mean, entities. Well, I you would mean call like them dog ghosts. ghosts or horse? Yeah, there's 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 stagecoast uh, ghosts. There there's are, train yes, ghosts, and those there's are all- residuals, which are broken down in here. Yeah, interesting. Anyway, I just, well, okay. I just, <laughs> okay, so so clearly. Yeah, you know, we're skeptics, obviously. You know, yeah, that's that, totally cool. And 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 I I want to say I really appreciate you coming on and talking to us because I think um, I would say I'm guessing our audience is probably ninety percent skeptical people, and then mm-hmm. you know uh, passersby who get interested in a particular topic, you know, as each episode's mm-hmm. on a particular monster type. Um, so here we're doing a wide a range of monsters, and and uh, your book covers all kinds of monsters. And again, although I'm a skeptic and don't necessarily believe the contents of your book, I did find it very fun reading it. <laughs> so uh, I, it's, I'm excited to have it as part of my library. Um, and, and Blake, let me just say that that just you know whether you believe what you wrote or not, if you encounter these things, you can I will the test. Page. You, you you will be tested. <laughs> you will know like, exactly what to do. And and, yes. again, and I can tell you one more thing. This you might you might you may find interesting. Uh, while I don't know if any of your spells work or not, I can guarantee you that when you talked about quantum energy earlier, you made half my audience's head explode. <laughs> <laughs> we have several classes on quantum physics at the Gray School in our magical science. You did there with the other half of my audience. So. <laughs> It's like for them awesome. when they hear someone who, who's on the new age side of things talk about quantum energy. It's like a, a, an IT guy hearing his grandma asking about uh, Linux device uh-huh. drivers. It's <laughs> why do you think I came on the show? We're not all crazy people with tinfoil hats. I swear, <laughs> some of us are totally normal weirdos. All right, <laughs> there you go, and you fit right in. All right, so here's my question for you that we always like to ask our guests: What's your favorite monster? Hmm. It could be any kind it of really monster. Depends on the day. That's right. Uh, at the moment, I think the wild hunt is my favorite. Okay. Okay. It's just so unfathomable. I love it. Now, now, I don't want to. Okay, I, I don't want to be wrong. I hate being wrong on my own show. But that's isn't that like a, a, a spectral event uh, that that happens sometimes <laughs> where, where kind of. Yeah, okay. it's, it's this big horde of spectral writers that, you know, depending on which country and folklore you're looking at, are either going to come down to, yeah. you know, sweep up the souls of the bad people or just to run down whomever happens to be on their road at night. One of the classic oh. don't be caught on the moors at night kind of things, right? So Exactly. Like I think in, like, Sweden, there are certain roads that are old and completely defunct that they refuse to kind of, like, reroute because it's the route of the wild hunt. Nice. <laughs> cool. Good answer. I just think it's the most fascinating experience. And because in America we have the ghost writer phenomenon, it's really cool. I, you know, I've always wanted to see Will of the Wisp, too, which, just speaking of swamp. I have seen those. It's weird. It's really weird, particularly when you're not anywhere near swamp gas. Would you, I was going to say, would you classify that as a supernatural event or a natural event when you saw it? What, did it look like something that was mundane or. You know, I have seen some weird, weird stuff in my time. Um, I, I, I have too. I have internet access. The behavior of it <laughs> did not seem natural to me. Okay. The way it moved. It moved at like weird spastic right angles with varying speeds, which to me does not seem natural. Could it have been? S- sure. But it say, didn't seem that way to me. I love uh, swamp fishing, and I, I spent a lot of time – in the summertime at night, you know, out at the swamps fishing, <laughs> wishing so badly that I would see something like that. And there were socks. <laughs> so that's my bad luck. Um, all right. So what do you have anything else upcoming in the future? New books or other projects you're working on? Um, I'm writing my second book, which will be even more credulous than the first. Um, or <laughs> credulous. Booker now, yeah. man. Booker now. 
Um, no, the my second book that I'm writing is kind of for people kind of that other people already go to when there are problems. It's kind of an advanced book. So and if, pretty if, much I teach at the grade school. I was going to say, if my listeners want to get to the grade school and take one of your magical defense classes, where would they go? It's www.grayschool.com. And you can go to my website, which is, you know, www.e-carlin.com. Um, you can email me, emily at e-carlin.com. And uh, I'm happy to talk to skeptical people. I have no problem talking to people that actually think. They make me happy as cool. opposed to the opposite. <laughs> that's, that's why we wanted to have you on because I, I, I could tell just from, from the book, I'm like, you know what? I think she'd be fun to talk to. And I was right. So there. This was very entertaining. And I, and I really appreciate you coming on. I, I always worry that I don't want to get a bad reputation with people who believe in the paranormal. Uh, you know, if, you know, I don't see enough proof, but I've had lots of interesting experiences. And I just, I'm, I, I, it's really nice. So thank you very much for spending some time with us. No, it's great fun. Cool. Awesome. Good luck with the book. Thanks. Monster Talk. Thanks for listening to this episode of Monster Talk. You heard Blake Smith, myself, and Ben Radford, interview author, lawyer, and witch Emily Carlin about her book, Defense Against the Dark. A link to Emily's website and her book will be in the show notes at monstertalk.org or skeptic.com. I want to thank everyone for their continued support of our transcript project. We have several episodes up now, and these transcripts help us in several ways, including helping people find the information from our show using search engines, making the episodes more easily referenceable on Wikipedia, and for use in a future video project, which I'm going to be doing. If 11 people donate $5, it pays for a transcript, which is fantastic. And I really appreciate all the people who've helped with this. If you can't afford such a donation and you still want to help us, tell other people about our show. We'd love to have new listeners. Or give us a positive review on iTunes and help strangers find us. And thanks again to everyone who contributed to the Monster Talk t-shirt contest. We had some fantastic entries and we're just judging them now. The finalists will be posted on our Facebook page and you'll be able to contribute your own votes and comments, which will be a factor in the final selection. More on that later. Monster Talk is an official podcast of Skeptic Magazine and the content of the show does not necessarily reflect the views of the Skeptic Society or of Skeptic Magazine. Monster Talk's theme music is by Pete Stealing Monkeys. And really, thank you very, very much for listening. to stay abreast of the latest from Skeptic Magazine and the Skeptic Society? Want cutting-edge skeptical articles delivered straight to your inbox every week? Then subscribe to eSkeptic, the free electronic newsletter of the Skeptic Society. Visit skeptic.com to sign up. All right, how's my audio? Testing, ah, testing. Now it's good. Now check, it's good. check, 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 cough, check. Cough, 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 cough. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, check off. <laughs> oh. oh, good time. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.